Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Mike Kaplan, who has been a guest on the show before. Um, Just as he was the last time he was here, he is a stand-up comedian who has appeared on Conan, Comedy Central, Letterman, and in his own one-hour special on Amazon. His new podcast is called Broccoli and Ice Cream, and he'll be making his UK debut at the Edinburgh Fringe Fest this August. Mike, welcome and congratulations. Thank you so much for having me back. It is. I, I have been looking forward to this for a really long time. And I also realized as I was doing the intro, I can't remember. I think last week I just did Daniel Ortberg and I'm still going back and forth between like Daniel Mallory Ortberg sounds like such a great sci-fi author. And I do kind of oh, like yeah. that middle name. Um, and I can't I, I, I can't figure out basically if I'm going to go by Daniel Ortberg in regular conversation or Daniel Mallory Ortberg. Um, and I don't expect you to help me solve that mystery. I just realized I don't really know what I'm doing. I affirm whatever decisions you make. Well, thank you. Yeah, it is funny. I realized, too, I had, like, forgotten to mention uh, the first time I did the new name on the air to just sort of say or acknowledge, like, and it is different. My name is different because I am transitioning, like, genders from from female to male. I'm I'm, I'm doing the transition thing. That's why my name is different because I forgot that sometimes it's helpful to say that. Um, and I don't know, so, like I've talked about it in other formats and not so much here. And sometimes I feel like I've talked about it way too much. And then I realized that I was overcorrecting by not acknowledging it at all. And life's very strange. It certainly is. And I think you've done the perfect amount. And if you want to do more, that would also be perfect. Anytime someone tells me that I've done something perfectly, but that if I also want to make any changes, that would also be perfect. I know that I am the presence of a sympathetic soul and someone who understands me on a deep cellular level. I take it. I accept it. Um, Uh, Yes, I I agree. I'm right there with you. Thank you. Yay. Okay, so now that we're in just absolute perfect harmonious accord, I thought we could start by tackling somebody's bisexual polyamorous problem. Right? Sounds perfect. That's what you do when you're in perfect harmony is you sort through a Gordian knot of psychosexual goings on. This is one of the most complicated problems I've seen. It's, you know, I mean, it, it. it seems also kind of common, like this definitely seems like a dynamic with this particular like gender lineup is one that I've seen before. Um, For sure. So at, at least this person can have the relief of knowing that they are not alone. Um, but I don't know if that's actually going to help us fix this at all. Would you read this letter and we can see through if there's anything we can do? I would be happy to. Subject, vulnerable or controlling? Dear Prudence, I'm a bisexual woman in a polyamorous relationship. My primary partner and I are usually open about potential new dates and new relationships, and it's been going really well. However, he says that he doesn't want me hooking up with men. On the one hand, I want to honor my partner's wishes and boundaries. On the other hand, I can't help but feel as though he is erasing my bisexuality by dictating my sexual behavior. How can I be kind and also stand up for myself? I mean, the eternal question, is it not? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, you want to be kind to yourself as well, which is, I think, you want to be, you want to be, try to be kind to everybody. Um, I guess my, my first thought is, like, there's many different ways to be polyamorous, and it's important to 
be with if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, it's important that you agree on the way that that relationship works for the most part. I would say I, I agree with all that. And there's a difference between wanting to push back against that because you feel like you owe it to the mere concept of your bisexuality to allow for that possibility versus I would actually really like to hook up with women. Um, right. Like Those are two sort of different things because, on you know, it is fine to have an arrangement that works for you both and yet is not, you know, perfectly equitable um, or, uh, you know, looks like this sort of ideal of what a, an open minded, progressive couple would be doing. Oh, yeah. The first thing you should ask yourself is, like, does this bother me more on just sort of like a theoretical level, which is still important, by the way, and worth discussing? Absolutely. I'm not saying that if it's that one, you can't talk about it. Or is it more, I would like to hook up with women and this is a, a real cramp in my style, oh man. Yes. Like, if you're, there are bisexual people in monogamous relationships and they're still bisexual people, like your identity doesn't require you to be with a certain number of people of any gender. Mm -hmm. uh, you get to hopefully be with the people, whatever people you want to be with that want to be with you. Uh, and that works for everybody. So, yeah, I would say if it's important for you to be hooking up with, dating, sleeping with, having relationships with women, uh, and your partner is 100% against that, then this might not be the partner for you. And But if you make it clear to your partner, if you talk about it further, uh, and you make it clear how important it is, then perhaps you can work out some arrangement that does work. But So maybe this partner can be the partner that you want to be with, where you can also be with the other partners that you want, and maybe this partner can't be. Yeah. And I will add to that, let's not be too clever for our own goods and, and try to like work really hard to rationalize what various reasons a person could have for this arrangement. Uh, the reason that your boyfriend wants you to hook up, oh, wait, I'm so sorry. I messed up. I really messed up. This is great. We won't even be oh, able yeah. to go back and re-record this um, because I was, <laughs> I was literally acting as if he didn't want her hooking up with women. Um, that, was, that was what I was saying. I think I actually said, like, do you want to hook up with women? Um, it's men. And I, I knew that and I got it twisted, which is adorable and oh, yeah. embarrassing for me. Yes. Sorry, letter writer. My mistake. I, I, I went along with it as well. Well, it's, it's because it, I sounded, sounded very so confident. confident, right? That's the problem. <laughs> this is like I was walking with someone the other day because they suggested a coffee shop we go to. And I just started walking. And after mm, 10 minutes, they were like, where are we going? And I said, I don't know <laughs> where this coffee shop is. I just was walking. So this is great. If, this is the person I'm, you're taking advice from, everyone. <laughs> if I may do you a generosity, uh, I will say that when this person wrote... I can't help but feel as though he is erasing my bisexuality by dictating my sexual behavior. This is, I believe, a woman who is dating a man and who is and he's fine with her dating women, which means that her bisexuality is at least being activated on a few levels. <laughs> like in a relationship with a man, can date women, just can't date other men. Yes. So there's I mean, which is also Everything else that we said, I think, does hold true still. If he doesn't want you dating men and you want to date a lot of other men or one other man or however many other men, you can do that if he's OK with it or you can do it if you're not dating him. And so those are, you have to figure out or you cannot do it if you don't really want to and only theoretically want to have the capacity to. But you're OK to just keep being in this relationship the way it is 
practically speaking. Right. And I think the reason that I got tripped up was it ends with, you know, I feel like he's erasing my bisexuality. And so my mind kind of went to, oh, right. He must be uh, trying to, you know, cut her off from her history or experience with women. Um, You're not asking if he's erasing your bisexuality. You're asking if he's being sexist. Right. Like um, because the, the, the implication of it's fine if you hook up with women, I don't find that in any way um, like it would get in the way of what we have. But if you were to date or sleep with other men, I would be threatened by that. I would become jealous um, because I would see that as as somehow realer or more important. So he's not erasing your bisexuality. Uh, he is being sexist about your bisexuality. And out of a place of maybe insecurity or fear and like the question that the subject line says is vulnerable or controlling. And it could be, you know, a matter of vulnerability that leads to potential controlling. Yes. If that's what's happening. Uh, When I was I was married years ago uh, to a bisexual woman who when we opened our relationship, she wanted to date women. And she was like, to be fair, then you can date men. But I didn't want to date men. So, Mike, your entire life has been leading you up to this question. This very question. Uh, But yeah, it's sort of if he if he gets to date who he wants to date, then you should get to date who you want to date. And that's sort of the fairness that uh, hopefully your relationship can end up in. Yeah. So absolutely. This is worth talking about. You can absolutely have feelings about his request. You don't have to concede to his request. Um, So, you know, be kind by, you know, don't yell at him, don't call him names, don't try to hurt him um, and stand up for yourself by naming the dynamic and stating your problems with it, um, which is pretty straightforward. All that's kind. And, uh, you know, either you're going to figure out what he is suggesting doesn't work for me at all. um, And I'm just not going to be able to make this work with him. Or what I wonder is maybe going on um, is there's a part of you that feels uncomfortable because there's this sense of, well, if this arrangement, if we go forward with it in the back of my mind, I'll be thinking that he's kind of sexist towards the women that I see or that there's some sort of like implicit bias in our arrangement. And that will make me uncomfortable. And, you know, that's worth paying attention to um, if, you know, you would be seeing or sleeping with women and kind of in the back of your mind knowing I have a partner who doesn't see this as a big deal um, or as kind of like a sexy sleepover thing that doesn't affect his like status as my man like that's you know pay attention to why that doesn't feel good and ask yourself whether or not that's the kind of relationship you would like to be in that makes sense to me yeah and you know there may be bisexual women that would not want to date you as a result of learning about that policy they might be like that policy bums me out and i'm gonna keep it you know uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna keep moving um and that's fine one other like possibility or sort of a, a, a perspective could be that the guy is, you know, not that he thinks that women aren't real people or aren't real potential, you know, partners uh, in relationships or in hooking up, but that he thinks that maybe, you know, he's because he's her male partner and he wants to be special in that way. And that if she had other male partners, maybe, you know, at at the worst, he'd be like, maybe she'll leave me for one of those men. If she maybe I want to be the only man that brings manhood into her experience. But also she could leave you for a woman. She could right. any anybody could leave anybody for anybody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you're going to have to hash this out with him. You're going to have to figure out what's important for you. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily encourage you to um, make any decisions based on what you think an open relationship should do, um, but certainly take into account conscious and unconscious attitudes um, towards women and men and, um, you know, what is real and primary and what is threatening and other um, 
and, you know, you can be both vulnerable and controlling, which is a real one-two punch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, we figured that out. We solved the problem of um, polyamory. Not the polyamory For everybody. Problem. But now we get oh, to yeah. <laughs> help somebody stop being vaguely racist. I'm excited. Is is the task that's that's at hand for this next one. Um, and I can't remember. Did you read the first letter? Did I? I'm still so embarrassed that I, I mixed up genders. <laughs> I I did it. And so this one's on you. Okay, great. So the subject line here is, I might be racist. How do I stop? Dear Prudence, I am a straight white guy in my mid-20s. I come from a smallish, mostly white mid-Atlantic town. I have always prided myself on being a reasonably non-prejudiced, non-bigoted person. However, after moving away for work, I've started questioning that image of myself. I attend a racially diverse church and have friends from all walks of life. However, I have said some things to people, both friends and strangers, that were either racist or sounded racist. It's been scary to realize that my outward shell of tolerance and open-mindedness may hide a prejudiced core. I study first impressions for work, so I was never under the delusion that I was completely unprejudiced, but some of the things I have said and done still scare me. What can I do to try to purge more of my prejudice? I wish so much that this letter writer had told us what some of the things he had said were. It is curious, uh, but I mean, I guess I would like to say first, like, good job for acknowledging that this is a thing that happens in general and in specific. In your, It's hard to admit that sometimes. It's hard to know. But we all do live in, you know, if you're living in America, you live in a white supremacist, you know, soup that you're marinating in constantly and just receiving these messages all the time. And sometimes it takes work to address them. Yeah, I would agree with that. The first thing that I thought, um, uh, letter writer, from your second sentence was, I come from a smallish, mostly white mid-Atlantic town, um, was that's not an accident. Um, The fact that your small town is mostly white is on purpose. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, um, letter writer, with Gene Denby. He's over at NPR, but he often talks about how housing segregation is everything. Um, And there's actually, I think, a, a video, like a short video about race and redlining and the sort of history of like white flight and and the creation of the suburbs, um, as well as, um, you know, denying, um, you know, home loans um, on the basis of race uh, in this country that kind of uh, talks through why, you know, if you grew up in a mostly white town and you yourself are white, um, you may grow up with this kind of vague sense of, huh, I guess everyone around here is kind of white. Weird coincidence. Uh, (laughs) That's on purpose. That happened very much on purpose. That was planned. That came at the expense of other groups of people um, who are not white, um, specifically black Americans. And and there's, you know, a lot to learn about that. So if you have a couple of minutes, it's worth checking out the race and redlining video, housing segregation and everything. Um, I'll try to include a link to that at the um, end of the podcast when we when we publish this episode. But, you know, there's just a lot to kind of think about when it comes to like, where are all these things coming from? How did I pick up these ideas? I tend to think of myself as one kind of person. And yet these things have come out of my mouth that I didn't even think of as potentially racist that were. Where did that come from? Um, it came from this country. It came from America, which is, you know, as you said, built on on white supremacy. And so on the one hand, that doesn't mean like, of course, I'm going to be racist, nothing to be done about it, just business as usual. But you also don't have to feel shocked, scandalized and horrified when you're confronted with your own racism, um, because that's 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 that again, that's on purpose. That happened on purpose. I would say, of course, I'm going to be racist and there's something to do about it. Like specifically, a lot of cities have surge chapters or different kinds of 
groups where white people can go and, you know, sort of talk about these sorts of issues with other white people without, you know, sort of making it the problem of uh, the people that already have enough problems with the racism in the country. So there's other people that you can process this with if you just do a search for, you know, sort of groups like Surge. Uh, If there isn't one like that in your area, there's probably one close. And also just the idea of an identity. Like we all, I think, you know, as children, we learn who we are, you know, little by little. Our parents tell us, our surroundings tell us, our environment tells us. But it's not that we do have like, it's not that you have some unchanging core of either you're racist or not racist. Uh, It's that, you know, you, you can, whatever's inside you, you can you can change what's outside you. You can change what you do and say, and you can interrogate the things that you think and feel and why you have said and done the things that you've said and done, and then strive to not say and not do the things that have scared you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the more you can think of this in terms of um, actions that you can change or or make amends for versus the type of person that you are, the better off you're going to be. Previously, when you have said things to, you know, if you've said things to strangers that have struck them as racist, you know, and this has happened multiple times, I'm going to guess that's true. Like, probably that's happened. Um, and it's worth going, and especially with the friends, go back and look at, was there were there any common threads? Um, what did people say about the things that you said? What was the response? Um, can you learn more about, uh, what you know, if there was a word or an assumption that you used, can you learn more? Like, can you find a book about that subject? Can you Google it and learn more about the history of that expression um, and figure out what it was that was wrong? Um, and I assume you already in those moments um, apologized and assured the people involved that um, you were going to take responsibility for not doing that again. Don't go, don't go back and be like, I need to apologize again. I feel worse. I want to make you responsible for forgiving me and making sure I can feel good about myself. But but go back, you know, uh, ask yourself, what was I saying? Um, and then do a little research on those things and, and learn more um, so that in the future, uh, you do not unthinkingly open your mouth and say the first thing that comes to mind. When it comes to, you know, how can I prevent this from happening in the future? You know, certainly think before you speak. Um, reflect on the past, on what you know you've said and done that was racist, and learn as much as you can as possible about those subjects, um, such that you will perhaps be slower to speak on those subjects. You know, I don't want to say make your make the other people around you responsible for alerting you to your own racism. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's going to be your best bet in terms of looking at what you've already said and done, and then actively seeking out information on that subject so that you can learn more. And it's possible, you know, the place that you came from, if you have, you know, I assume other white people uh, in your friends and family group uh, that are also potentially, hopefully, like-minded. Like, it's good to be able to talk to some people about this. I mean, you could talk to a therapist, but you could also talk to, you know, people who are close to you that, again, are probably, hopefully, white people that you're, you know, you're able to process with. Yeah. Um, You know, and I just think back to... That moment of it's been scary to realize that my outward shell of tolerance and open-mindedness may may hide a prejudiced core. On the one hand, don't feel like, my God, I'm a secret monster and irredeemable and there's no hope for me. Um, but on the other hand, it's 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 not a surprise. Of course, that's the shell. Uh, and that's that's just again, that's just true. That was a shell. That does not mean that it is impossible for you to be a tolerant and open-minded person. Um, that doesn't mean you cannot do better in the future. Um, and that doesn't mean that those are not um, qualities that you can aspire to. 
especially if it's if you're thinking about things as like a core and a shell, like maybe deep down you're the nicest person and then society piled these things on top of that. And now you just have to uh, make the outer layer again, you know, to match the inner core of innocence that you started with because you weren't you weren't born uh, you know, knowing anything and you just, you learn things from society. You learn things from your surroundings, your environment, your family and everything. And now you're learning from this and you can keep, you can unlearn some of the things that you learned that you don't want and you can learn and relearn to be the kind, tolerant person that you thought you were and then actually become that more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just, I just, I keep wanting to go back to your second sentence because there's so much there. Like just you say, a smallish, mostly white mid-Atlantic town. Um, and, and just to kind of illustrate the degree to which that can that is on purpose. That didn't happen by accident. Um, that's not just like a sort of neutral state of being that happened to occur in a vacuum. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the um, concept of a sundown town, but James Lowen compiled a list um, that there's actually available on a website um, of sundown towns in the United States. And you can click on your state and see a list of um, sundown towns, and it is very possible um, that you grew up in one. Um, and sundown towns or sunset towns um, were known as all-white municipalities um, that practiced uh, segregation based on daylight. Um, they enforced restrictions uh, about non-white people, again, specifically black people, not being allowed to be in town after sundown. You know, the 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 sort of justification being um, people of color could come and work in that town, um, but were not allowed to live there. And that's, you know, there were policies up to that well into like, you know, if you're if you're in your 30s, like, you know, when your parents were growing up, these were explicit on the books laws. Um, So this is recent history. This isn't like way, way, way back in the past, a long ago legacy we should think about once or twice a year. This is like stuff that was happening when your parents were growing up, stuff that was, you know, very, very recent history when you yourself were born. So. It's not just you. It's not that you're an especially bad person. It's that this is like a big American legacy that we all have to grapple with. There's an especially bad system that has been in place and still in many ways is. Yeah. So good luck. It is going to be a lifelong practice. Um, I think the fact that you have the desire to do better is good. There's a lot of helpful information out there um, that will go a long way towards um, undoing the, the, the racist things you have said and done in the past and that um, you will be able to to move into the future on a different basis. And I can't promise you um, that you will never do or say anything harmful again or, or never do or say anything racist again. But um, it's, 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 a, it's a good goal. It's a worthy goal. It's a goal you can make real strides um, in, in moving towards. Um, and, and good luck. Keep us posted. Let us know how some of that research goes for you. Agreed. All right, we're moving on to wedding invitations, right? Just, just. I'm, oh yeah, I'm really excited about this one. I'm excited for you to read this one. Thank you. I actually just want you to answer this whole thing. I feel like I just talked for a bunch. So you just take this one and I'll oh, just either agree okay. or disagree and we'll move on. This is, this is my favorite one. I, I also liked everything that you said. You are very informed and it was valuable information. So <laughs> there's no arguments here. Great. Okay, subject, wedding invite dilemma. Dear Prudence, I'm getting married in September, and my parents are paying for about 90% of the wedding. My mother and I disagree about how we should word the invitations. My mom wants to follow traditional wedding etiquette, as she says that they are the ones paying, so they are the ones, quote, doing the inviting. She wants them to read, 
Mr. and Mrs. Joe Jones request the pleasure of your company. I think it's a bit sexist to be only referred to by your husband's name, and I would like her name to be included so it reads as Mr. and Mrs. Joe and Jill Jones request the pleasure of your company. She is adamant that this is an incredible offense uh, and would cause her terrible embarrassment from her more etiquette-savvy friends. I am frustrated because I thought we were a more modern family. We're having a fairly casual, non-religious wedding, and I didn't think we associated with anyone who would really care whether or not our invitations followed strict traditional guidelines. I know we're both being stubborn, but am I being irrational in my desire to have her first name included in the invite, or is she being unreasonably antiquated? My mother literally told me I was breaking her heart with my tacky word preferences, and now she is threatening to remove me from the family cell phone plan for which I reimburse her. Uh, I like that twist at the end. There's so much escalation. This is a dramatic family. It really is. I mean, I think the regarding the cell phone plan, uh, why are you so traditional in sticking with your family cell phone plan? You know, that's very, very old uh, a way of doing things. So that's sort of neither here nor there. But I honestly think that your mother, regard, number one, here's the two reasons I think your mother should get her name on the invitations the way that she wants them. Number one, she is paying for them. Like, if you want to do everything the way that you want to at your wedding, then feel free to pay for your whole wedding. That would be one way to get everything that you want. Uh, But sort of standardly, when I got married, uh, parents paid for lots of things, and they got to pick lots of things that happened. Or they at least got to weigh in, and they were like, it's going to be like this. We have to invite these people. We have to have this band. We have to have this food. We have to... And, you know, there's only so many fights that you can have. If this is the only fight, uh, then great. But the number two reason, or maybe even the number one reason, another number one reason why I think that your mother should have her name the way that she wants it is because it's her and it's her name. And that I think that's a more feminist thing to do is to let your mother declare how she wants to identify herself by name. If she says, I'm Mrs. Joe Jones, then not who are you to say otherwise. Like you can definitely uh, make your name be whatever it is, but let her have her name be the way that she wants her name to be, even if you do think it is antiquated or from another time. She's from another time. She's older. That's the way she wants it. I guess the only other thing I would add initially is uh, it's funny when she says, uh, I didn't really think we associated with anyone who would care whether or not our invitations followed strict guidelines. It seems like you both care. Uh, (laughs) Everybody, everybody cares at least a little bit. If you don't care, I mean, also after your wedding, I mean, maybe you'll frame the invitation and you'll put it up in your house and you'll think about it every day forever. But also, I didn't even watch my wedding video, but that's that's my life and it's not really relevant to hear. But I think that what your mother's name looks like on the invitation is one of the smallest parts of the wedding. The marriage is the important thing, the relationship, the love, the caring, the connection, the your family, the, the care between you and your mother. I feel like this is something that you could do for her in allowing her to have something the way that she wants it because she's your mother, she's paying, and she's a woman who gets to decide the way that she wants to identify. Mike, you did it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Was that, do you, do you, do you like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you. Like, I think the letter writer actually nailed it themselves um, when they said, I think it's a bit sexist to be only referred to by your husband's name. I agree. Mm-hmm. On this one wedding invitation, I also think it's a bit sexist. I don't imagine that your mom goes around in public, you know, when she meets new people at, like, 
wherever you meet new people, she's like, hi, I'm Mrs. Joe Jones. I bet she calls herself by her own name most of the time. So I agree. It's a bit sexist. It's really important to her. So I would let it go. It's not going to affect you very long. You don't have to look at the invitations. It's it's pretty low impact. She's not telling you you need to change your name. I, I think the whole bit about thinking I didn't even think we would associate with anyone who would want to go with traditional wording on a wedding invitation is uh, you're, you're both really ramping it up here and you really don't need to. I think just go with All right, mom, I think it's a little goofy, but I'm sorry I made it into such a big deal. You are inviting people. You're paying for it. You can write your name however you like. That's it. Yeah. And I guess I would also say if you're like, I think that nobody will really nobody would really care if it was that way. I think most people you're the you two are the only ones who will care this much, I think, about the name that your mother has on the invitation If I got the invitation to your wedding and it said Mr. and Mrs. Joe Jones, I wouldn't be like, well, I thought they were from a more progressive family. I thought it would say Jill Jones. I think everyone will just open the letter. Just RSVP. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, everything else going is going fairly casually. That's great. She's not even threatening to pull funding for the wedding. She's just trying to get back at you via your cell phone, which is kind of charming. (laughs) Yeah. Just let her word the invites that way. It doesn't sound like you guys are grappling constantly about every detail of the wedding. It sounds like this is like one weird standout. So just let this one go. Um, And then maybe eventually get on your own cell phone plan. Um, Because the idea of reimbursing your mom every month just sounds like it it would be worth spending whatever the extra money was on your own cell phone plan. But maybe not. I mean, it's your life. Choose your choices. You, I mean, is is your husband or wife or partner going to be added to the cell phone plan as well? Or will you start your own new family uh, and a new family plan. I straight up for a second thought that you were asking me, and I was like, Mike, I really oh. don't talk about my personal life on this show. <laughs> um, so uh, that's what I want to get into right now. We solved this problem, and we have some extra time. So, what's your family plan situation about? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to draw a veil. I've already <laughs> talked about the fact that I'm transitioning, and that feels like enough personal information to provide listeners of the show with for mm, ten years. <laughs> I understand. In in ten years, I will reveal one fact about who is on my cell phone plan. If we still have cell phones, Ooh. then. Which we won't. We might be the singularity by then, and we'll all be on one robot cell phone plan. Or dead. Oh, yeah. You, you know how it is. Okay, great. I do. I do. So, <laughs> moving on. I am, by the way, uh, I, I'm getting texts from uh, uh, my producer right now about uh, the status of um, his cell phone plan. And that's really wonderful. I'm not going to reveal it on the air. It's private information. <laughs> I just, I appreciate it very, very much. The subject of this next letter is, I want to kidnap a dog, which I got to say, you know, when historians look back at the various phases of the Dear Prudence column, I think mine is just going to be the Dear Prudence who transitioned and became the one who talked about dog kidnapping all the time. Like that's, those will be my two things. A lot of dog stuff. And it's (laughs) always kidnapping dogs. It's always kidnapping dogs. People always want to kidnap dogs. They always want to kill cats. Except for sometimes they have killed a dog. Oh, yeah. And sometimes they want to kidnap the cats. And... I guess if I only had to answer based on the subject line, I would say don't. Ooh. I want to kidnap a dog. I don't. I know it's there's temporary. More, it's but. a temporary kidnap. It's like a like absconding oh, yeah. with the dog and returning the dog. Let's let's find out. Let's do. All right. Dear Prudence, my in-laws have an unfixed male dog. They let freely roam our neighborhood. Many neighbors have complained to them that their dog wanders miles from home and goes into other people's yards and bothers their dogs. My in-laws don't care. In fact, they encourage it because they want their dog to, quote, get some tail. 
and they think it would be cute if their dog made puppies. I do not think this is cute. I recently adopted a senior female dog who's in very poor health. She was never spayed, and the vet recommends against it because of the risks considering her age and other health conditions. I want to borrow my in-law's dog to get it neutered and or report them to the animal control in our area. Animal control around here is notoriously unhelpful and requires you to bring the dogs to them before they'll do anything. I know this from experience. Also, the only animal shelter within four hours of us, I live on an island with a small population, is also unhelpful. We've tried talking to our family over the course of the last several months, and it hasn't worked. This isn't as much about my dog, who's never outside unleashed or unsupervised, as it is about the other dogs in the neighborhood. I feel I can't continue to see my husband's extended family until this matter is resolved. The rest of the family agrees that it is a problem, but they don't think it's our business. I disagree. What do I do? I'm at my wit's end. I truly care for this dog and don't want to see anything bad happen to him. Are you still anti-kidnapping? Here's what I say. Uh, I think if this dog that isn't yours is on your property, then you can do something with it. I think any of the people around the island that that also feel that way, like I don't think you can go to their house and get their dog and kidnap it and take it and do the stuff with it. I think you can report it as much as possible, like to, I mean, call the police uh, as well, whatever authorities you can, call animal no, control. No, don't, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and yeah. fight you there. Don't call the police. This is not a good enough reason okay. to call the police. Fair enough. Uh, but I don't, do you, th- are you pro-kidnapping the dog? Yes, 100%. Okay. Yeah. This wow. feels like... Uh, Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Kidnap the dog. I mean, it doesn't sound like you'd have to wait very long for the dog to show up. So I'm not suggesting like, you know, dig a tunnel under your in-law's garden and like come up Hogan's hero style um, and, and sneak the dog away. Just, yeah, the next time you see the dog out and you have a little free time, absolutely. Go to the vet, get him fixed, release him back into their yard, feign surprise. I, I, I very rarely give this advice, um, but this is just like, yeah, you know, animal overpopulation is really serious. Um If puppies were born to, like, a stray dog or that people couldn't take care of, they might get, you know, neglected or hurt or uh, have to be put down. That's really unkind. Um, Do it. And, you know, there's nothing to be done afterwards. Even if your in-laws are like, oh, no, someone spayed and neutered our dog. I suspect you. You can always be like, it wasn't I. Just lie for the rest (laughs) of your life. That is certainly an option as well. I would also say... uh, that you don't have to hang out with that family. Uh, if you don't want to, if you don't like the way that they live their life and treat their dog, like that's that's just a separate issue. Uh, you can not spend time with them if that's an option as well. Yeah, although I'm so curious about this like small island where everyone like lives near each other and has dogs and fights and I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm curious. I would watch like a tense family drama set on this island. Um, yeah, you know, certainly you can limit the time you spend with your husband's extended family. Um, but yeah, fucking go for it. Absolutely. Like, you know, call. Like, if you see the dog out next, call first. Say, this dog is always running around. It's not neutered. It's I'm, I'm worried that it's going to either, um, you know, create feral puppies or, you know, hurt, get hurt. And if they say, fine, if you bring the dog in, we will we'll spay and or neuter him. I forget which is which. Um, and then do it. And then deny it for the rest of your life. Another thing, I guess you could also, you know, depending how tight-knit the community is of the dog owners on the island, like, you know, you know your dog uh, can get pregnant but doesn't, uh, you know, is never off the leash and is never out of your sight, though obviously mistakes can happen. But uh, make hopefully everybody else on the island is making their dog be spayed and or neutered uh, so that even if their dog did get some tail, uh, it wouldn't result in those puppies. 
Yeah, but I, I mean, you know, I just don't know. I don't know. We oh, only yeah. know this one yes. dog. But I guess you could go we around do. polling people. Um, it's just so weird. It's so weird. I think it'd be cute if our dog, like, made puppies. Like, how would you even know? Like, your dog's not going to come pawing at your door and be like, I'm a father. Like, he's not going to be Cigar. able to inform yeah. you of this. This isn't the lady in the tramp, as great as that would be. It's true. I mean, you just have to wait and see if puppies were born that looked exactly like your dog. Only the boys would look exactly like him. The girls would look exactly like their mothers because that's what always oh, yeah. happens in The Lady and the Tramp is girl puppies look like their moms and boy puppies look like their dads. I don't know as much about dogs, but uh, that sounds right to me. It sounds plausible. All right. Yes. So back to humans for our last problem. It's, 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 it's thornier than some of the other ones we've addressed. We're definitely ending on a, a tricky, painful note. Um, oh, yeah. You get to read it. I'm happy to do it. Right. Uh, but with that with that tone, I'm I'm happy. Subject: Let's talk about consent. Dear Prudence, a few years ago, two of my good friends, Molly and Jacob, got drunk and went home together after a party. Molly told me about it the next day and mentioned that Jacob had unfriended her on Facebook. I didn't think much of it at the time. Jacob and I recently rekindled our friendship and began dating. I asked him about unfriending Molly, and he confided in me that night uh, that that night had not felt consensual to him. He had told Molly he did not want to hook up, but things still took a sexual turn. Jacob and I talked about it, uh, talked about it extensively, but now I am wondering how to discuss this issue with Molly. As one of Molly's closest friends, I feel a responsibility to talk to her about violating Jacob's consent. I also know that if I don't talk to her about it, it will definitely ruin our friendship. How do I best approach a conversation with Molly? I think the best way to approach it is to talk with Jacob first oh yeah right that thing was really obvious a hundred percent like if you talk to molly without jacob knowing and okaying and either advocating for or at least accepting that you're going to do that uh then that is also in a way violating jacob's consent yeah i would say yeah in, and, in a different way in a a less blatant physical way but yeah that that is the thing that is the thing to find out first to say like hey you know i'm, I'm glad you were able to share this with me it I, I, I want to talk about this with Molly. I'm troubled by this. Um, I would want to know, like, what she's prepared to do to, like, take responsibility for what she did. But I don't want to have that conversation um, if if you don't want me to. And if you're not comfortable, like, the, the thing is not, please give me permission to go have this conversation I really want to have. Um, the, the question here is, what are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? And if he says, like, look... I don't want to have anything to do with her, even indirectly. I don't want you talking about this with her. Um, that's my priority. That's my preference. Um, I would rather just not have this information out there. Then I think you would need to respect that. And if that meant you felt uncomfortable around Molly, but we're not able to really talk to her about it, like that's not an ideal situation. That That's painful. But I, I think it would be more important to respect his wishes there um, than to, you know, prioritize your discomfort and saying like, no, I have to say something. That, that that's kind of my first read on it. Does that feel right? Like I don't want to. Uh... Yeah, it's it's a difficult situation. I mean, the wording that the the writer uses is he confided in me that that night had not felt consensual to him, which doesn't you know necessarily literally mean he took me in confidence and he said I I make you promise not to tell anybody this. But that is also sometimes what confiding means. So for sure, if you're going to talk to Molly, it's important to talk to Jacob about your desire to talk to Molly. Uh, and hopefully, 
you know, he will be okay with it. Like, if he is okay with it, then then the question is, how do you talk to Molly? I mean, hopefully just directly and kindly and informatively. And, you know, hopefully, I don't, who knows what her experience of that night was and what she knows and how she feels. And that is, of course, what you're wondering as well. But yeah, the the ideal, I think, in your in the writer's mind is like, hopefully everybody can be okay. Everybody can, you know, get through and process and forgive. Uh, but it is possible that not everything will go exactly the way that you want it to. Right. And that the goal here is not going to be figure out to make sure that I get to date Jacob and feel comfortable about staying friends with Molly and that everyone feels good. That's not, um, I think, a desirable outcome. The outcome should be finding out like what exactly Molly did and making sure that she is prepared to like take responsibility for it. If if it's wanted, desirable, or welcome to make some sort of apology um, and to you know figure out how she's going to live her life on a different basis as a like knowing this like it's not just about I want to make sure that everybody feels good about everybody else and I'm sure it was all just a misunderstanding like it sounds like she caused Jacob real harm like she she like again like there's there's not like a ton of, of detail on what you have shared with us, but that's, you know, he said to Molly, I don't want to hook up. Um, and, and then immediately afterwards he pulled away, he unfriended her. There was at least some sort of clarity within that moment that she had not listened to him. Like that's, you know, that's big. And so I think even if you're not able to talk to Molly, um, this may ruin your friendship in, in, in the sense of like, I think you do have enough, clarity around some of the choices that she's made that it would make you really reconsider whether or not you you trust her or you believe that she's like actively trying to make really good choices and not hurt or assault people yeah so yeah i I can't promise you that this is going to go well in the sense that everyone's going to feel really good or that you're going to feel comfortable about being friends with molly Um, there's a number of ways that this can go there's a number of ways in which she might respond to this conversation and i just don't know what's going to happen next if it helps to see a therapist um, if it helps to um, call like the national sexual assault hotline and just ask for guidance or if there's any sort of advice that they can give you to your specific situation or things to look out for or things to be sure to prioritize and to bear in mind. Um, You know, get as much information as you can before talking to Molly, again, if Jacob's comfortable with it. But yeah, get, you know, find out what he wants. That's the most important thing. Um, And then before you talk to Molly, kind of think through, what's the information I want to share with her? What's the information that Jacob is comfortable with my sharing with her? And what are my goals from this conversation? Like, if she does or doesn't do something, will that be sufficient information for me to say, I I can't be your friend? Do I want to encourage her to do something, to say something? Um, What would taking responsibility look like? What would avoiding responsibility look like? And how will I know in the moment what's happening? Um, I think going in with a plan, maybe writing some of this stuff down, again, not like writing down what happened between the two of us, between the two of them, um, but but writing down um, what you want to say, what your goals are, what would be, I think, something that you would say, this is not okay, you can't do that, um, or I, I, I can't support you if you do that. Um, have Have that in mind before you go into that conversation. But this is, you know... I'm glad that you feel uncomfortable. I'm glad that you feel like you want to talk to her. I'm glad you haven't done so yet um, because that means that you're 
um, checking in with Jacob first and, and, and also ask him what he needs. Like, is this the first time he's talked about it? Has he talked about it with anyone other than you? Um, you know, how's he doing? Does he need more support? Do you, do you, is there something else that, that he wants or needs? Um, find that out because that's really important that he gets the support and the help that he needs in confiding about this with you. Those are all very good points. I agree. I'm sorry to not fight you. Yeah, no, this is a this is a hard one to fight on. But this is, you know, it's very worth paying attention to when something like this happens in a, a friend circle. And it's not just this idea of, oh, this thing happens among like strangers or bad people who I don't know. But when it's someone that I care about, I have learned did something that's really hard for me to reconcile with how I see them. There's that sort of question of like, what do I do? And the question is, you know, generally speaking, ask, learn more, you know, experience discomfort, push, ask difficult questions, make requests of people, figure out what accountability would look like in their particular situation um, and advocate for it. And and good luck. And I'm really glad that Jacob trusted you and was able to tell you. I'm glad that you were supportive and, and, and kind to him in that moment. That's really good. And I hope you're able to continue to do so. And hopefully, you know, if if Jacob is okay with it and you do talk to Molly, hopefully Molly will be understanding and will take responsibility and will, you know, hopefully all the best things that are possible from this point on will happen. But the idea of like your identity as friends with Molly or as good friends with Molly as you are and you want to it's reasonable to want to maintain that to maintain the the image of who she is as a person and who you are as friends. Uh, But it's also now you have some information to reconcile with that and hope maybe you'll get a chance to do it and maybe you won't. But uh, you can definitely be there for Jacob as much as he needs and in whatever ways that he needs and wants. Yeah. And and good luck. And um, it, I, I hope that calling the National Sexual Assault Hotline might put you in touch with more specific resources, because I'm just very aware in this moment that, like, you know, we don't have, like, perfect um, answers for this. And I'm just really glad that Jacob has you um, in his corner on his side um, and that you're here for them. That's that's really good. Ah, oh, Mike. OK, so we, you know. We handled dogs, we handled weddings, we handled racism, we handled polyamory, um, we handled uh, having difficult conversations with friends. Like, I feel kind of wiped out. How about you? Uh, I'm ready for seven more. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm also happy to uh, have – I'm glad that we've done what we've done, and I do feel – like we've done a thorough job with what we could. Yeah, I definitely do not have seven more questions for you. Um, I I could try I to make something up, but I'm afraid no, that they would n- not contain the ring of truth. Uh, dear Prudence, I ran out of questions to answer. Oh so gosh. what do you recommend? I recommend going home. And enjoying that makes this beautiful sense. day. This beautiful day. Outside. I will do that. Please do. Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the show. As always, you're the best. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me, Daniel. And I hope you have a wonderful time at the Edinburgh Friend Fest. Mostly, I just wanted the chance oh, to say Edinburgh again, because it's a fun I'm, word. I'm glad you said it exactly right, as far as I know. I mean, I, I we'll find out. I will hear from Scottish people, and they will either say things like, good job, or that was terrible, try again. Uh, either way, I'm sure it'll sound beautiful, whatever they say. It is great. I do enjoy Whenever BuzzFeed publishes those compilations of things Scottish people have said on Twitter, um, that's always a good time. I enjoy simple things. 
All right, get out Thank of here. Thank you so much for your well wishes. Oh, goodbye. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Bye for now. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Thanks for listening. 